This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here on Saturdays. We talk about one thing. Well, two things. We talk about the disease of addiction and we talk about the road to recovery. Every week I tell you, and it's worth uh, repeating time and again, is that while the news about substance abuse is often grim and uh, horrific, um, there are lots of people who get sober, lots of people. Uh, 20 million may be living right now in long-term successful recovery. Uh, In the face of uh, the dimensions of this epidemic that we're, we're going through right now, it's very important to keep your eye on the prize, and the prize is to fight this disease and to let people know that there's help out there for you. So that's what Recovery Radio is about. It's sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, about which more a little bit later. So if you've got an hour as you, as you uh, scoot around here on, on the weekend, in and out of the car, uh, maybe leave the dial where it is. Maybe you'll learn something that could be very important to somebody's life later on. It's almost impossible to calculate the toll that this disease has taken over the past five or ten years at the very least. Uh, it is complete, it's staggering. I mean, I, uh, numbers you hear now are hard to get your head around. People, young people, old people, rich people, poor people dying at rates that rival, if not exceed, automobile deaths in the Commonwealth anyway. So there's no, uh, there's no uh, exaggerating how, how bad th- this uh, substance abuse, particularly the uh, opioid epidemic, uh, is. And no one pays a bigger price uh, during this crisis than families who lose people. And that's what we're talking about here when we talk about the disease of addiction. Uh, people die from this disease. So uh, when we have the opportunity to talk to people who have paid that ultimate price and find out how it's shaped their lives, their thinking about the disease, we uh, reach out for them um, and put them on our program. That's how Sean Murphy finds himself in the studio with us today. Uh, Sean is here to tell us about his family, his uh, work now with a foundation started in the name and memory of his uh, baby sister, uh, Caitlin Murphy. Caitlin Murphy Foundation. We're going to find out about them, and we're going to find out about Caitlin and her story straight ahead. We welcome Sean Murphy to the program. Sean, thanks for uh, coming by. Steve, thanks for having me. And by the way, that is an orange shirt, isn't it? This is a, a very orange shirt, and it's uh, part of our uniform here at the Caitlin Murphy Foundation. <laughs> the boxing glove is great because this is a fight. This is absolutely. That's your logo. Our logo is the boxing glove, and. It goes along with our mantra that we're fighting mad and ready to fight back against addiction. Tell us about uh, your family. Tell us, uh, tell us about the Murphy family. I'm guessing, just from the name, that it's a big and raucous group. Uh, so, yes, we um, big family. I, I'm one of four. Uh, I was number two. I have an older brother, uh, Tim, a younger brother, Patrick, and uh, Caitlin was the baby sister uh, of the three boys. So, Caitlin came around later uh, in life, I would say, that... Uh, not that we were grown, but uh, my older brother was 11 years older than her. My, myself, I'm eight years older than her. And my younger brother was six years, um, or I'm sorry, older than her. Yeah. Um, so. Um, well, well, everybody knows a, a, 
an older brother is an older brother even if he's only a year old. That's so right. So she had three big brothers. She had three big brothers. So. Yeah, she had three big brothers. Where'd you guys all grow up? So we grew up uh, in the Warminster area and then later moved up to Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And that's where Caitlin spent the, the majority of uh, her young life growing up, uh, living in Central Bucks, playing with uh, playing in Warrington sports and uh, attending uh, Central Bucks schools, including Central Bucks South. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to get in. I want to get into Caitlin's um, Caitlin's bio as well. I mean, she was an athlete. I mean, in a, in a, uh, a cliche that's used very, very often, she was an all-American kid, right? Caitlin had a great upbringing, and, and um, as a young lady, she took full advantage of what was presented to her. Um, you know, with a um, you know a happy family upbringing, uh, parents that loved and adored her, an extended family uh, that was very close and and attached to her, including a, an Italian godfather that she had who who, who really kept uh, a close eye on her, but spoiled her rotten. Mm. Uh, Caitlin had a lot of advantages uh, being the baby of the family. Yeah, and we and we mentioned that because it brings into sharp focus how vulnerable young people can be um, no matter what their circumstances are. Um, she wound up with the disease of addiction. How did that... Take us through the the process of that as you can as you can remember it and reconstruct it. Yeah, so to, to circle back on the the point about Caitlin being the all American girl, she she really was. She um, uh, smart, pretty girl, uh, charming, charismatic. Uh, she was really just a pleasure to be around, and and this was the case um, up and through you know her high school years and uh, and even into the early college years when she went to Penn State. Um, what had happened, however, was Caitlin had come home on a break from college, and uh, after spending a day out with my mother, uh, shopping and doing the things that they like to do together as the, the girls of the family, uh, Caitlin uh, slipped coming out of a bank and blew out her knee. So um, with that, you know, the, the addiction issues started when she was prescribed pain medication, uh, and that's where this all somewhat took off from. Mm -hmm. did, did she exhibit any... Um Symptoms is a strange word, but any behavior prior to, to the to the prescription medicine for for the knee, the, uh, over drinking. I mean, I, no. I mean, I I wouldn't say say that there were there were warning signs that we were uh, overlooking as it related to her behavior. Mm -hmm. um, was she a good student and uh, had friends? And uh, she was a very popular girl. Had lots of friends. Um, and academically, was a solid B student. Right. So, right. so really, what what you would be looking for out of a young lady growing up, and uh, somebody I was very proud or or am very proud was my sister coming up in that uh, in that environment. Uh, prescribed opioids, boy, the, boy. Again, um, these stories are so so similar, but each, of course, distinct in its own way. She's prescribed pain medication, mm -hmm. and. It's almost as though some people are allergic to this stuff. Do, do you know other people can take pain medication and it just deals with pain and other people can't? You know, for me, it, it's a, <clears throat> um, a slippery slope when you have that conversation of where it goes versus, um, you know, environment versus genetic. Mm -hmm. And um, for some folks, yeah, I would agree, they, they are able to take their medication and uh, are able to come off of that medication uh, quite quite simply. Well, well let's uh, t take a moment to the extent you want to talk about it. What What is the family history with regard to substance abuse? Is is it widespread in your family? Did it occur before? What's, what's the situation? 
Well, I don't know that I would call it widespread, mm-hmm. uh, but there are addiction um, issues in my family. I myself am somebody who um, is engaged in long-term sobriety. So I've been um, in recovery now, you know, going on nine years. So, oh, congratulations! Well, so as, so as and you were were you were you sober at the time that that Caitlin began down her unfortunate path? Yes, I was. You so. were sober then. So I was sober for, for a number of years okay. at that point as well. So 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 you're you're someone who's been there, done that, and you couldn't, you didn't see anything. You didn't see any signs, anything that you wondered about. Well, when when, when the signs started demonstrating, uh, and we started recognizing that uh, her behavior was changing, who she was hanging out with was changing. Um, her, how, how, I'm sorry. How was her behavior changing that you noticed? What we found was that she was withdrawing a bit um, because Caitlin was a very lively, lively soul uh, and was very engaged with the family in, in most matters. Um, her brother started having some kids, you know, as, as we were getting married and progressing in life, and, and she was often involved and engaged there. Uh, but what we just found was that the conversation started becoming shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, the participation in family events started to lessen. Um, at the time as well, I also had her nannying for me as um, I, I, I have a, a daughter, and uh, Caitlin was the nanny to my to my daughter. So, as you can imagine, that uh, should I have recognized things were happening, I certainly would not have left her uh, the one responsible for my daughter. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't ask the question because I think you missed anything. I, I asked the question because it's very difficult for people to recognize you know, red flags yeah. as a, as opposed to typical, you know, young person behavior. They change, they get different. But it's interesting to hear you say you could, you could see her behavior change, withdrawn more, not the same person. The friends thing is big too, right? When they change friends? When they change friends and the girlfriends start going away, that that's a good sign there that their behavior is one that may be pushing away some of those people that care deeply for them. You know, and, and what we had when we started recognizing changes with Caitlin, and I saw her almost on a daily basis, um, it was quick. That's, that was the scary part about it is, is I don't know when exactly it happened, but it was one day you could just tell something was different. And I could say that for me it was almost as if that light, that charm, that glisten in her eye, uh, the Irish, uh, you know, the Irish eyes, they looked a little colder, a little darker. Did you ever have a conversation directly with it? Was it? Did you ask her if anything was wrong? We did, and and I did have a conversation with her. Um, unfortunately, at a certain point, uh, I discovered that there was some some drugs um, in the house. How, how um, when you say rapidly, um, uh, Sean, as you can recollect it, what are we talking about? Time frame from from the first introduction because of a knee injury to full blown addiction. What would you guess that time frame was? Looking back on it now, I would say that it was six months. That's not only not only breathtaking, but but scary. But scary. Yeah. Um, to people out there who think this can never happen in their family, what do you what do you say to them without sounding like an alarmist here? It is alarming, though, right? Well, for me, the the, the saying that uh, addiction does not discriminate is is evidenced by what my family has, has experienced. Um, by all, by all accounts, uh, Caitlin was intended to graduate college and, um, go on to live a long, happy life. Um, 
and it swooped in and, and took over. So what, what I found in my time in recovery, what I've learned is that addiction impacts across social economical or socioeconomic lines, mm -hmm. race, religion, profession. Uh, it does not discriminate. Yeah, it's an equal opportunity killer. Sean Murphy is our guest in the studio. Sean works uh, now in his sister his, uh, sister's memory through the Caitlin Murphy Foundation. We'll find out how the Murphy family went from the uh, devastating loss uh, to turning it into something uh, in Caitlin's memory that's doing a lot of uh, really important and good work fighting the disease of addiction. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We have with us as our guest uh, for the program this weekend, Sean Murphy. Uh, Sean comes from an uh, um, Irish-American family, uh, real heartland kind of people, the Murphys uh, from the Lower Bucks County. Um, th they lost the, the baby sister of the family, Caitlin, six years ago, right, um, Sean? It would be six, uh, six years ago as of May 21st. Uh, at the uh, 20, 23 years years of age, it's uh, an all too tragic and familiar story of young people dying from the disease of addiction. And uh, Sh Sean is sharing with us uh, the family how you cope with something like that and uh, what came out of it, which is quite simply the, uh, the Caitlin Murphy Foundation. I'm struck by the story of uh, your story about uh, Caitlin's uh, descent into this disease. I like to say that all stories of substance abuse and and um, it, its uh, effects are the same, except they're all different. What strikes me is about about Caitlin's story is the speed with which uh, this this thing took her. When it became apparent to the family uh, that she had a problem, did she go to rehab? How many times? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, we had a, a an obvious occurrence, which most folks don't have, where where drugs were found and. Um, I was actually the one to find them, and uh, being someone in in recovery, we know what the, the the course of action there is. So, I sat her down and, and we discussed what her options were, and uh, the main option was was going to rehab. So, um, we were able to make some plans and and get her into rehab within the next twenty four hours. What you found heroin? I found heroin. Yes. Yeah. And uh, th what was her reaction? Was, was did she deny it at first, or what? Did, what was her reaction? No, she she was caught red-handed. Um, it, it could only be hers in in where it was. And um, with that said, um, she her guard kind of came down, and she knew. So, so she was absolutely looking for help. She wasn't looking for help. No, and, she wasn't. Um, she uh, at first, you know, didn't believe it to be as big of a problem you know we, they automatically and and as addicts will automatically turn it on you know and and uh try to justify or try to um equate our our uh, challenge she can handle it she's telling you it's not that big a deal right not that big a deal um and that it, her, her problem is only uh, sometimes it's it's not an ongoing um drug that she is you so 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 you you're her older brother uh you've got you've got uh, two other brothers uh you've got a mo your mom and dad are still involved in the picture here it's an extended family as the first as the as the person in the family who who finds out first naturally you talk to your sister how what did you do with the rest of the family did you gather them all together what was your plan of action at that beyond getting caitlin into rehab what was your plan of action regarding the rest of the family what'd you do 
Well, my main plan of action was getting Caitlin into rehab first and foremost. So uh, with that, I uh, had called and instructed the the rest of the family on on what was going on and and what we were going to do to um, progress her uh, down the right uh, right path. So to that, you know, they were individual phone calls to my brothers and, and to my uh, my parents. Well, how, how how did your your parents sh- just stunned, or, or were they more were they sort of waiting for some bad news here? Regardless of bad news, I don't think any parent expects to hear that their twenty um, three year old daughter, or at this time twenty one year old daughter, uh, was using heroin. You know that that H hard one. That H word is um, not a common drug and, and it's an associated drug that people um when you think of what a heroin addict is and what that drug is it, it's f- far more severe um than some of the the other drugs there's a lot of baggage about this uh, about that drug in particular but certainly there's a lot of baggage regarding the whole idea of the disease of addiction and people can resist that but i, I can certainly appreciate that but it was all hands on deck at that point right all hands on deck and and you know the idea with heroin this was six years ago you know, before the epidemic was really a, a front and center um, conversation piece. Making it, I guess, in one sense, even harder for the family to get their heads around it, right? Very hard for the family. Yeah. So she gets, uh, so you get her into rehab, and how did that go? I've had the, um, the responsibility of helping a number of folks get into rehab, and I can tell you that no one ever wants to go to rehab. Um, but she, uh, she went. She knew she was caught and, and figured that she was going to go do her penance, per se, in, in rehab. Um, so she went into rehab. And for the first week or two, there was calls every day that this wasn't where she was supposed to be. Somebody should come get her. The people in there are, you know, not like her. Um, and... Um, you're the wrong guy she should be telling this to, right? Because you know exactly where, where she's coming from. Well, she wasn't telling me this. So she was playing on the folks that she thought would be more sympathetic to her her pleas. Um, and, and with that, the family stayed unified in our approach where with this is the best place for her to be. This is the safest place for her to be. And um, it wasn't always easy for those who, who, who loved her and, and maybe aren't as close to addiction in my family mm-hmm. to understand that we needed to keep her there. But slowly she came around and she started to really enjoy her time in rehab to the point where when it was time for her after her 28 day program to come out, she didn't want to leave. She felt safe in there. She was comfortable with the people there and and she had uh, assimilated to, to the environment and her leaving uh, was just as hard. I would say as getting her in. Really? Yeah. So what did, what, did she go into sober living? How, how did she transition from her, her resident treatment into uh, the rest of her life? So she transitioned back home to, to my parents' house for, for a period of time. And um, her, um, her behavior, her activities were monitored to mm-hmm. a degree, mm-hmm. as much as you can monitor a grown adult. Um, but... Um, yeah, she transitioned back home and was doing very well um, in in that transition. Mm. How a long a period of time between those events and her overdose did, did she stay sober? This is a timeline for me that, that's a bit foggy with how long it was. But if um, 
I would say it was a period of less than nine months. So, um, and what we believe was, or what I, what I understand is that she was doing very well for, for a long time. And this even comes from some folks who had been uh, very close with her during the, those, the, that period of time. Um, I don't know that there were all that many signs again that maybe she picked back up um, or if it was the first time she picked back up. But um, you know, the day that she passed uh, is a day that uh, was spent with my mother all day taking care of a, uh, an elderly aunt actually down in a hospital in, in northeast Philadelphia. And um, upon returning late that night, my mother went to, um, to make them some dinner as they were out fairly late. And uh, Caitlin went upstairs, and that, unfortunately, is where it all unfolded. Did your mom find her? My mother and my father found her, uh, yeah, laying on the floor there. And she, and she had uh, overdosed on a, a, a tremendously potent uh, shot of heroin, right? Yes. Uh, you know, the, 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 from the, the hospital staff and, and the lab results, it came back that the shot of heroin that she took was 1,500 times uh, above what the sur- you know survivability would be. Caitlin Murphy was 20, 23. 23 years old when she uh, when she passed as a result of the disease of addiction. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you Saturdays uh, here talking about the disease of addiction. It is, of course, uh, sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. You know, at some point, I can't do it now. We have a lot to get, with, get to with our guests, but I just returned from uh, uh, Florida and took my first look at the retreat facility down there, the brand new one, and uh, it, it's uh, spectacular. It is spectacular, uh, and uh, uh, all the people uh, involved in putting it together uh, are uh, justifiably proud and working hard uh, towards making uh, retreat a real positive presence presence in that part of Florida. And of course, they're uh, locally up here in uh, Lancaster at their residential facility in uh, Ephrata. They have the outpatient clinic from, from where we, we do our broadcasting uh, in Akron. And, you know, listen, it's a world-class group. You, you could do uh, no better if you need treatment for this disease than to call the people at retreat. I'm going to give you their phone number. That's not why. I tell you this every week. They're not here selling the idea that they're the only people that can help you. But they're good people to answer questions. Uh, they'll answer any question you have about anything you've heard on this program or any questions you have about the disease of addiction or questions about the behavior of your family or kids. They just want to help. So I'll give you the phone number, and I say this every week too. I hope you never have to use it, and so do the people at retreat. But in a crunch, and this is always a crunch, this number could be important. 855-859-8808. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. 855-859-8808. In the studio with us is Sean Murphy. Sean lost his sister, Caitlin, six years ago to the disease of addiction. And uh, out of uh, that horror uh, rose the Caitlin Murphy Foundation, which Sean is uh, obviously dedicated to and proud of the work they're doing. You started this, what, a year ago? A year ago, uh, the idea was initially kicked up uh, Easter uh, of last year. And by the time we were able to stand up the organization, get some plans set up, and uh, officially launch, it was uh, July of of 2017. Oh, so it's brand new. So how does it happen? 
the, the family, which is, you know, still, you know, you don't get over stuff like this. I mean, your sister has been gone for quite some time, and, and yet nobody really, you know, they talk about closure. I'm, I'm a little suspicious of that phrase. So what happens to a family? Do you just sit around going, you know, we're thinking about her a lot. Uh, we grieve. We miss her. We got to do something more than that. Is that how it happens? Well, I'll tell you, um, the closure is a, a crazy thing because even today, I still, I'll still cry um, over the loss of my sister, and I know my mother cries every day. Um, but what was interesting was we, we didn't talk about her, and uh, the house actually almost went quiet as far as Caitlin, Caitlin's name and memory was concerned. Uh, it's because everyone would tear up and run to their own corners. So. Um, what happened last Easter, however, my father runs a Good Friday golf outing, good chance to get all of his friends and people from over the years that we've become acquainted with, and he pulls together this little golf outing. So it was after that golf outing, that Easter Sunday, uh, he and I were sitting in uh, watching golf, and I said, you know, what, what might be nice is if we put on a golf outing uh, in memory of Caitlin and raise some money to see what we can do to help uh, fight back against uh, the opioid and, and heroin epidemic. And he looked at me, and it was for the first time his eyes didn't well up with tears when I mentioned her name. And he says, I think that's a good idea. So I walked in the kitchen. I said, Mom, what would you think about putting on a golf outing in Caitlin's memory? Now, typically, that would send her running out of the room in tears. She was in the middle of cooking the big Easter dinner, and she says, I think that's a good idea. And I thought, this was the first time her name was mentioned to both of them, and neither of them welled up and cried. So it was a good sign. And... Mm. Um, you know, what we've gotten out of this more than anything is the ability to talk about my sister. And that is, don't get me wrong, there are still a lot of tears that are shed when we're, when we're doing certain things. And, and my mother's funny because she's, she's very supportive of what we're doing and very proud of the work that we're doing. However, before every event, she cries to me and says she doesn't want the event to happen. Right. And, and none of us, you know, and the truth of the matter is all of us wish that this foundation didn't, didn't exist. exist. Of course not. Because my sister would still be here. Yeah, of course not. Um, I'm struck by the fact that the idea occurs to you on Easter Sunday. Um, incredibly uh, poignant to think about that. But come on, you know, what do the Murphys know about a foundation? How do you, I mean, you know about golf, but what do you know about a foundation? How'd that happen? So we do know about golf. And, that, and that's one thing that uh, we don't play well, but we, we try to play often. Um, <laughs> and we certainly get our money's worth out of strokes. But um we, we took a look and said, what can we add of value to this community that is in desperate need of uh, support and leadership and guidance and, and forming of a community? And, and what we thought was, based on my personal and professional networks, my father's personal and professional networks, my brothers, uh, both of them are, are very well connected, both personally and professionally, um, I mean, which was evidenced, unfortunately, just by the turnout at Caitlin's funeral. We had thousands of people at that funeral. Is that right? Well, so so the your extended uh, family and acquaintances and friends knew knew the story of of Caitlin. Certainly knew about her passing. Um, you say it made it made this effort. The foundation uh, made the family. Uh, more open about about Caitlin's passing. Did it also help you talk to other people about it for the first time? It did. It did. I'll tell you, it was actually easier to talk with other people uh, during that five-year period of time where we weren't really talking about Caitlin in my house. It was easier to talk to other people about it than it was in my own home. And that's because you, you don't like to see your 
siblings or your parents hurt and that was immediately what the feeling was when, when we'd bring it up um, and, I, and I almost did relish the opportunity when I had the chance outside of the family to talk about her um, because she really was a wonderful young lady so how do you uh, so again you, you begin with the golf um, the golf outing um, how do you form a foundation there are people out there wondering how, how, how can I do that how do you form a foundation this was the difficult part was forming the foundation because what we did was we decided early on that we didn't want to form a program per se that we were going to run and manage in the addiction space, but we thought that we could add tremendous value by being a fundraising organization that could support other programs and charities and people doing great work in the community around this, um, this opioid epidemic. So that was our goal. And, and when we started putting together the golf outing, and we started putting together some of the sponsorship levels and, and the participation levels. We thought that if we're going to do this, we really need to do this and need to put in place all of the 501c3 paperwork and file with the state and the federal government, the IRS. There's really a lot of work that goes into establishing um, a, a recognized nonprofit organization. Fortunately, though, we, through our network of folks and, and people who were generous with their time and efforts, they helped us to navigate this process, and we were able to get that distinction in, in fairly short order. And in that uh, period of time be, be, uh, between your sister's passing and when you created the foundation, the perception of this disease had changed dramatically, correct? It had started to change dramatically. I'll tell you, I haven't seen anything like I've seen over the last year. What has occurred in the, in the recovery world and, and the community's understanding of how uh, drugs and, and alcohol and other substances are impacting those afflicted has grown by leaps and bounds. So you, you found very little reluctance. People understood that this was something worth getting involved in beyond the personal basis of, you know, it's the Murphys. We know the Murphys. There was a, a, an awareness among that extended group of people that this was a problem we all have. The people who were near and dear and around us is where we started. And those are the people that we consider the Caitlin Murphy Foundation fighters. These are the people that stepped up for us. And I think initially they came into the foundation and joined us in our efforts um, out of a personal friendship, love, respect. But over this time, the foundation has worked to continue to educate our group and our community and our people around the, the afflictions of disease and how it's impacting our community. Yes, talk a little bit about that. When you talk about educating the community, what, what, what is the message you say to them? Well, you know, available information that was out there even just, say, two, three years ago, outside of those who are in the recovery community, was really um, not available to the to John Q. public, per se. Uh, it was more perception. It was more hearsay. It's not like today where where we're understanding the statistics and how many people are impacted. Um, you know, the other or the other thing that is unfortunately occurring today because of the rapid increase of folks that are impacted by opioids and, uh, and the heroin epidemic is that I'll tell you, everyone that, that we come into contact with these days essentially is no further than an arm reach away within their family or friendship of somebody who's impacted. Isn't that remarkable, isn't it? I mean, it used to be un highly unusual to know anybody who, who's, who had lost someone from, from substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Now it's hard to run into people who don't know somebody. And that's where we saw a desire from these folks to understand 
um, because all of a sudden, and, and we were up from, from the Central Bucks area, and it was not a, a challenge or, or an issue that you would see overly in our, in our community. And then every weekend, the newspaper had a, had a young kid. Who are you working with um, in a place like Central Bucks uh, officially? I mean, do you work with – well, who do you work with? What, what, what kind of organizations are you working with? <clears throat> so we've been blessed with the uh, partnership that the community leaders have, have reached out to with us. So uh, one of the first organizations that, that we were able to partner with was the Warrington Township Police Department, who was launching a new program called BPAIR, which is Bucks County Police Assisting Recovery. Uh, our friends as well down at the Ben Salem Township Police Department had already kicked that program up and uh, were, were experiencing some success with that. Warrington was the next one to extend it. And uh, I believe there's plans for all 38 police districts now in Bucks County to um, put, this, put this program in place, which allows people who are struggling with addiction uh, to come into the police station requesting help. Yeah, the role of policing this problem has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's um, it's um, through through organizations like your foundation where the, and the police see what's going on. They can't arrest their way out of this anymore. Uh, the, the service that these, that these brave men and women are contributing to the communities that they're serving is just outstanding. They care. They see it firsthand. They have a better idea of, of how the community is being impacted than I think the rest of us do because they're the ones that take the calls. Yeah, we've talked to a lot of law enforcement people who who have had a real sea change in their attitude about this. You can't just lock people up and act like it's going to go away. You got to you got to get in there and help people who are struggling with this disease. Sean Murphy, our guest, telling us about his uh, foundation, the uh, Caitlin Murphy Foundation, in uh, the memory of his sister Caitlin. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I hope you found us uh, here on Saturdays. We talk about the disease of addiction and the road to recovery. It's all sponsored by uh, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Uh, We've had with us uh, for this program Sean Murphy. Uh, Sean's family buried their little sister, uh, Caitlin, six years ago this past May. Uh, Caitlin struggled with substance abuse uh, and ultimately uh, overdosed and uh, lost her life. In her memory, the Caitlin Murphy Foundation was founded. It's over a year now, and Sean's been here to tell us about the work they're doing. Sean, you mentioned that you, you guys are deep in the community in Central Bucks. You, you've got great response from business and uh, local police and in, in getting uh, behind this problem and helping fight it. What other? How's government doing on a both local and, and federal level with, re- with regard to your experience? Well, I'll tell you that um, that to me is one of the the brighter um, items that we have found uh, in our in our search here of starting this foundation is that government is very involved. Uh, we were introduced early to our district attorney uh, Matt Weintraub, who has done a fabulous job in, in pushing some some of the um, efforts there of the district attorney's office in, in promoting uh, things like uh, drug delivery. Uh, resulting in death and the laws associated with with that and their ability to prosecute. Additionally, we work uh, very closely with uh, Diane Rosati of the Bucks County Drug and Alcohol Commission. And the amount of work that they have and that they're accomplishing there through their organization, which is funded through the county and the state, um, is really stellar. And and, and we're doing as best we can to help them continue to get their message out and of the, the services that they provide out to the community. And then additionally, we've, we've, we've been embraced by... Um, 
federal um, federal government. And we're very fortunate here in, in the Bucks County area that I live and, and we're served by a congressman by the name of Brian Fitzpatrick, who <clears throat> his offices are down towards the, the lower end of the, the, the county as well as some offices in, up in Bucks County and, and in Washington, D.C. And he recently recognized the Caitlin Murphy Foundation and the efforts that we uh, are doing in our community on the floor of the, the House of U.S. Representatives, which was a tremendous honor for us to, to be recognized. But he, day in, day out, is, is fighting the good fight for the people here and that he serves, his constituents, in Washington, D.C., serving as the, the vice chair of the Congressional Opioid Task Force, as well as doing what he can from a, a, a legislator perspective. You know, it, it, the reason we, uh, we, we like to talk about this is so that people who, again, are, are not familiar with this disease, its impact, um, when they hear about a foundation put together in the memory of someone who died, I think sometimes the sense can be, well, it's a coping mechanism or it's a kind of vanity project or, you know, what you've just described is exactly why foundations like this one are very important. Yeah, government will get involved, but it takes a grassroots effort like your foundation to light the fire, right? Yeah, and, and what's what was great, and one of the greatest compliments I think that we received uh, as a foundation was from our district attorney, Matt Weintraub, who, who labeled us as doers. He says, there's a lot of people out there that just want to talk about things that can be done to change the community. He says, but not the Caitlin Murphy Foundation. These are people that are rolling up their sleeves, getting involved, and have proven themselves to be doers in the community. And that's something we really pride ourselves on. Uh, um Sean, let's take a couple of minutes here at the end of the segment here to talk about you. I know you talk in addition to, you know, law enforcement and, and government officials, uh, business communities. You must interact with lots of families uh, to raise awareness uh, of what the stakes are here now. Are you finding in your community when you talk uh, to the public that they understand how dangerous a time we live in regarding this disease? Are they getting it? The feelings of the community have changed dramatically. And I think the efforts that have been put forth um, are making a difference in the area of stigma uh, as it relates to this, this addiction. And people are clued in. People are beginning to recognize that they're not exempt from the disease of addiction and that um, heroin is in their backyard. Opioids are being abused in their backyard. So there's a willingness there and an openness to discuss the issues and take corrective action where they believe they can. So, it's unfortunate that it, that it's taking a, a you know a practical wholesale slaughter to get people's attention about this disease. A lot of people, uh, like your sister, have lost their lives, but it's focused people's attention now on how I keep telling people that you may not think you or your family are vulnerable to this disease the way you would, for instance, be vulnerable to the influenza bug or something. But it's almost like that. I mean, this this thing is so scary and so perverse that, uh, and so widespread that anybody could wind up in this situation. Literally anyone and everyone. So how if people want to find out about the Caitlin Murphy Foundation, what should they do? I'd welcome people to, to go online and take a, take a look at us at uh, www.caitlinmurphyfoundation.org. Um, we also have an upcoming event, a golf outing that is scheduled for October 12th that we're hosting at the, the Bucks Club. Last year's event did sell out and sold out in quick, uh, quick order. So I would recommend that for any uh, businesses that are interested in sponsoring 
or people who are interested in joining us for the day of golf, get on and, and sign up. Um, the Caitlin Murphy Foundation, Caitlin is spelled K-A-I-T-L-I-N uh, and Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y, foundation.org. Sean, thanks so much. It's a, a tough story, um, but you guys are doing uh, what, you know what's necessary, and I'm um, sure the community up there appreciates it. Thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. My pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Uh, the rest of you, enjoy your weekend, and uh, please look for us here on Saturday's Recovery Radio. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.